Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome to... I was going to say top stories. Welcome wow. to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Top stories was yesterday, folks, and we get into it per usual with mm-hmm. some tech legislation that might be coming down the pipeline, some Clarence Thomas drama, and could he be impeached? Could he? You got to listen to top stories to find mm-hmm. out. Diane Feinstein conversations around her absence and the Ted Cruz race for 2024 and what that's going to look like. So go listen, go listen to that. It's ready for you. She's ready. She's, she's a fun listen. We really, I have to say, we really covered the gamut and we did go down some rabbit holes, which is on brand for us. So I'm just, I'm glad about it. And if you're glad about it, make sure to leave us a rate and review on Apple. If you're a Spotify listener, that means it's a just a rating. You have to listen on Spotify to be able to give a rating. So just a little FY, FY Izzle. I'm just going to... FY Izzle. Just throw some fancy language out there. But no, seriously, really appreciate it. if you guys could. It helps us grow, helps us get in front of more humans. So take two seconds. I know you guys will sit on the app right now. It's out, it's in your hand, or it's next to you. So it's pretty much the yep. deal. But I literally was just filling Maddie in before we popped on and we just have to, this is like the funniest thing to me. So today I actually started filming what I'm about to say on our IG story. And it was me dancing and dancing quotations. Okay. <laughs> like let's be real here to the, the hold music that Schumer's office has, which I have to say, whoever picked it, good job. And I also have to say that his voice is really interesting because he has like a whole message and he sounds just a little more refined in it. I'm like, who did a little like audio edit on this guy? I know. I was like, oh, he's getting his podcast training in. Mm -hmm. Look, if he wants to come on and talk about why he hasn't moved gun legislation, specifically an assault. um, We'd love to chat. Yeah. This is the forum. mm -hmm. Chuck, come on through. Chuck, 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 Dilla. I am stuck on this. Help get me off the Chuck podium. But no, anyways, I was on hold. I was giving myself a little dance. And part of it is because Schumer called a meeting amongst colleagues for Thursday, this coming Thursday, the, uh, that would be what, the 11th? Today's the 9th, 10, 11. Yeah, 11th. 11th. Nice. Out counting. One, two, three. So, so hard, but I really used it. I'm really proud of myself. But no, he is... He called a meeting about gun violence in this country to talk about next steps. I'm hoping that that means there's discussion of bringing an assault weapons ban to the floor. He is the one that has control over whether that happens or not. We've been ranting about it for quite some time. But March 4th looped us in on this happening. And one of the things that needs to happen ahead of that is for everyone to call, not just Schumer, but a lot of these senators that have been at the forefront of kind of making gun reform an issue, priority to call them and be like, excuse me, this is my number one issue. Get something done. Um, Exactly. And March 4th has a great script on their IG page. But regardless, I was I was doing what I was saying, and I was calling. I was stuck on hold, took some videos, and then I was like, you know what? Music. You made a TikTok. On TikTok. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I can't get these words up. And nonetheless, I like throw the text over. I throw some hashtags on it. Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, ban assault weapons. And rarely do we have a TikTok go to the wrong side of TikTok. Like, usually it stays like, oh, we'll get people that did it. don't agree with us. And I would definitely say the independent to Democrat And this is how you it. know. And this is how you know, because 
First of all, likes versus comments. Usually that doesn't happen. The comments are not higher. But the comments were all from middle-aged men. And we'll read through some of them. I definitely would not count on that. Schumer gets kickbacks like the rest of them, said Jason 13. Cody Rancher (laughs) says... LOL, don't think it will go through. House has a say. Thunderboom979 says, they have 24-7 armed security we pay for and your ignorance of gun control is astounding and pathetic. Go live in China. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Pat said, found the fascist. The iron girly said, we need mental health control, not gun control. Buckwheat... (laughs) said we'll keep my guns thanks anyways and let's see who else we have scout piper and dory oh it's three dogs from florida oh first of all biggie would never Biggie would never biggie votes blue (laughs) yeah said should we ban your first amendment right to post this video banning weapons will not end mentally ill people from killing people so just funny. My favorite's buckwheat, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. They're just such a variety pack. I was cracking up. I was like, I literally, we never hit the middle aged white dude demographic, and our for you page is like Bravo pop culture and super liberal progressive content. So it's just like, why is buckwheat over here? You know, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know, but either. it did crack me up, and I was writing our newsletter hashtag viral. So if you work on a campaign or a political professional and you want social media tips, write to your inbox every Tuesday, sign up, subscribe. Link is in our description. But I was doing that. So I was going to grab the links to the sounds that I was including in this week's. And so I kept just seeing the comments get added. And I was like, oh, I hello. Hello, yeah. sirs. Well, speaking anyways, of the sometimes it happens and the Cody ranchers of the world, mm. Trump found mm. liable for sexual abuse. And defamation. And defamation. Which so defamation drops today. Hard. Hard, hard, yeah, hard. True. A jury found Donald Trump liable Tuesday for sexually abusing advice columnist E. Jean Carroll in 1996, the year I was born, awarding her $5 million in a judgment that could haunt the former president as he campaigns to regain the White House. Will it? Questionable. The verdict was announced in a federal courtroom in New York City on the first day of jury deliberations. Jurors rejected Carroll's claims that she was raped but found Trump liable for sexual abuse and defaming Carroll after she made her allegations public. Trump chose not to attend the civil trial and was absent when the verdict was read. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Did you see some of the clips from his, what's it called? His testimony? Yeah. Yeah. Like the one where he like literally gets her confused with a wife, then says another one that she yeah, enjoyed wife. it. And then in another one, not only he enjoyed, she enjoyed it. Like she enjoyed, he said rape in that same sentence. So, sir, just, I can't. I can't. He's such a gross yeah. and vile human. And I'm so glad that in some regard, he's being held accountable. Obviously, within limits of this particular case. But I I sadly don't think that it's going to move the needle for him and his campaign because if it, like the thing that I think would have originally, like back in the day, 2016 election style, the grab him by the pussy moment, like that, that didn't was this, change basically. it. Yeah. yeah. Like this is him but actually literally doing The other thing is that his face that. isn't seeing this anywhere. No. They're not. They're not getting this news. It's nowhere to be found. They have no idea what it is. And even if they did, they would think it's bullshit or that, you know, he's just the victim in this situation of a corrupt system or whatever. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to affect him because his base is like untouchable. But obviously what it can do is show the rest of the common sense world that this man continues to be a problem and is a problem. And it just reminds people of how heinous he is. So obviously his face isn't changing, but it will remind people who are, you know, your normal voters that we should not reelect this man. So 
that yeah. is a positive and also positive that just the justice system is working slightly against him especially with this slew of other kind of legal troubles that he has it's i guess a good first start but nonetheless nonetheless what a whirlwind what a week like i feel like i say that every week and that's only tuesday as we're recording this you know it's just i know it's crazy yeah. honestly crazy, that would crazy. be kind of I don't know if this would be cute on merch or not, but like something with that involved. But mm-hmm. like, what a week. What a week. Cute. I like it. We'll work okay, on it, guys. We'll work on it. We always say that with merch, but it's, it's guys, it's really, <laughs> it is so much harder to make happen than you realize. Mm-hmm. Like I, especially to try and give you guys quality merch, like not quality. just like, I do have one quick housekeeping note. And that is that we are now on Lemonade, which is a new social media app. It's kind of like Pinterest and Instagram has a had like a baby, but like with the TikTok algorithm. So it's like kind of, it's just like all in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been describing it that way, but also so is everybody else. I think that's so perfect. It really just, description. when it captures, it captures. Anyways, we're still new. We're still adding content, but it's kind of like a nicer way to show like roundups of episodes. So if you're like, curious oh my gosh what about all the education episodes we could have like a little like playlist of those it enables us to be able to create content that really does that and just makes it like more accessible that way so join in the fun download the app if you already have it add us scroll on the gov all the usual stuff and we'll occasionally share it to our story so that you can grab the link and go sam join us join us but i guess we should say also join us in this interview Join us in this interview for sure. Who are we talking to? We are talking to Alex Gomez, who's the executive director at Lucha. So we are talking all about Arizona politics today. We're getting into it, getting into some of that state politics realm. I think we said this in top stories yesterday, but we really want to make sure that we're giving a focus to every state under the sun. So this is Arizona's moment to shine. Of course, we'll be covering Arizona in more ways than one. If you want to also learn about what happened with the uh, ballot measure for abortion last year, we do have an episode on that, speaking of Arizona politics. And if you're just curious about the ballot measure process that's become tip of the tongue, then you're going to want to check that out. But regardless, this is obviously a more up-to-date look at what Arizona politics looks like in 2023, what's to come, and we'll be we'll be circling back. So right now, I'm just going to call this the Arizona politics starter pack. But without further ado, here is Alex. We are so excited to welcome Alex Gomez of Lucia. Like, we are getting into it. And for those that aren't quite aware of this organization, what you guys do, can you give us the four-on-one on sort of what goes on at this organization? Yes. Well, thank you so much for welcoming me. It's just such a treat to be on with you, too. You know, Lucha was born out of a fight during the Arpaio years. He was a really horrible sheriff that his business was going and terrorizing immigrant communities. So he would go and through with his sheriff's posses do checkpoints on the street asking just regular people to show their papers when they're stopped at a stoplight. Raids and also supermarkets, workplace raids. And the then executive director of Lucha that founded Living United for Change in Arizona, Lucha, she went and protested at the Board of Supervisors, which back then to show up and disrupt in any way, he would send over his sheriff's posse. And so him and a couple of others, including now our Senator Jacqueline Teran at the state legislature, were arrested. And so from there, you know, she was able to take the money that she won to from this lawsuit against Arpaio and found the organization. And so Lucha has been going strong as a organization that wanted to be able to contest for power and center our communities and make sure that communities of color and communities that are at the margins have a seat at the table. And so we have been staying true to that mission. We're the organization that heard from our members in 2016 that it was really hard to make ends meet. 
And so we were advocating for the fight for 15. And so we took that fight and turned it into a state fight where we were able to increase the minimum wage, taking it from $8 to 12 by 2020. And now every year folks get an increase due to inflation every single year. And so, you know, we're really proud of the work that we do in ensuring that our our community members are the ones that are driving our policy agenda, driving our organizing, and that we're also ensuring that Lucha is advancing social, racial, and economic transformation in the state so that we can create the Arizona in the next 20, 30 years that our communities don't feel like we have to just be surviving, that we're building an Arizona where families can thrive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love all of that. Well, what is your journey into getting into this role? You're the, you're the executive director. Can you kind of explain how you got involved with Lucha and the story there? Yeah. So I actually came into the work because my father was undocumented, you know, a long time ago when we lived in California. And just seeing his plight and the fear that he experienced, we had to make a decision as a family whether we stayed in California for him to get detained and deported or whether we moved somewhere else. And this was during the Governor Pete Wilson years. And so we moved to Arizona. I got involved when Arpaio started all of his anti-immigrant wave. And through that trajectory, I started organizing. But I began also organizing at a national level with United We Dream advocating when I joined the team, we were advocating for parents to be able to get deferred action. What I quickly realized is that in the fight for citizenship at a national level, that in order for us to be able to win, we needed to build a robust infrastructure in the states. So we needed to have mass amount of people power and build organizations and infrastructure that could contest against these bad legislators and bad policies. And when we lost the immigration reform fight in 2013, I was angry and seeking, you know, for a vehicle for me to be able to actually build the the people power that we needed in order to win. And so that's how I came upon Lucha. I was a board member of the organization and then I was asked to join as a co-executive director. And we had a co-executive directorship for about eight years where it was really exciting to, you know, be able to build up an organization that now was speaking truth to power, increasing the minimum wage, taking on really big electoral fights. And this is my first year as sole executive director. And so it's really exciting. We have a really incredible team that are fighting hard right now at the legislature to ensure that we protect democracy and that we keep a lot of the protections that we have currently for our families. And so I'm just, you know, really honored to be with an organization that is deeply rooted in community and centers the voice of everyday people. Well, congrats on also first year doing it solo. That is huge, big moves, big moves. What also is in the hopper for this year for you guys? I know you just mentioned, too, that the team is, you know, really working at the state legislature level to protect, you know, families, to protect voices. And I think that's just such a great segue into, you know, this question, you know, what is on the agenda? What's 2023 look like for you guys? We have, we started the year off strong. So for us, it's about continuing to organize. And so we are an organization that is in Maricopa County, that is in Coconino County, Pima County. Last year, we expanded to Cochise, which is along the border, and then also into Yuma County. And so we're going to keep organizers in those two new districts. And so we're really excited that we are, you know, deeply statewide and also experimenting with online to offline organizing. So we're building up an organizer manual. We're creating videos so that folks can access them through our open source website. 
And they can build their own teams in their communities and have support from our organizers. We really feel that our communities really just need the tools. And if they have the passion, they can run with it. And really, we're, we're a support system for them. Mm-hmm. But all of that, you know, proactive work to build people power is also fueled because we have significant attacks at the legislature. And so what, you know, we have been hard at work during this legislative session is we are seeing significant attacks already to democracy. And so in the past, you know, it's true that our communities have leveraged and utilized the ballot measure process, which is how we were able to obtain Prop 206. But then also there is the ballot referral process. And so what we're seeing, you know, the right attempt to do is weaponize the ballot referral process, using it as a vehicle to harm the chances of our community being able to participate. So the legislation right now, SB 1324, that we are fighting against with our coalition partners, this piece of legislation I just laugh because it's like, what what are they going to come up with next? Like, this is like, like kind of stuff that they're just like, you just pictured like these like grumpy old men like sitting mm. around and thinking like, how can we increase our chances to rig the and rig the rules in mm. armed communities? So their proposed legislation would leak to the public the name, address and precinct of every, every Arizona voter before what? after every election. Oh my gosh. What? Yeah. Oh, wait. That's That's really dangerous as well. Yes, it's incredibly dangerous. And what we have already seen is, right, that there are folks going and intimidating people at the Mm -hmm. polls. Right. Following, we had a number of intimidation tactics last year where our canvassers were being followed. Wow. And so this just, you know, amplifies the urgency for us to, in the future and leading up to 2024, make Mm -hmm. sure that we are getting ready because it's going to be really important that we work, you know, extra hard to flip the legislature. We're so close. We're at a one vote difference. And that's, you know, through the years of organizing. And we're really proud in this past election that we were able to knock on 444,000 doors. We were able to elect Governor Kitty Hobbs. Mm -hmm. We were able to elect Secretary of State Adrian Fontes. We were able to elect Secretary of State Adrian Fontes. And then we were also able to elect Chris Mays, Attorney General, who is just also super outstanding. And so we're at the cusp. We're not 100% blue because as you can see at the legislature, we still have We have now a situation where we have deeply progressive folks that won and are in those chambers fighting for us. And then we have deeply extreme right candidates that are really trying to figure out how they hamper our opportunity to continue to participate in our democracy. And so that leads me to the economic fights. So Lucha, Lucha is a C4 entity. And then our sister organization, Arizona Center for Empowerment, we have been fighting and advocating for a proactive agenda for families. And so that means that we, with our coalition partners, have been working to build a new economy. And so that has been, you know, called the people's first economy here in Arizona. And what we are seeing is that the legislature, again, wants to use the ballot referral process as a weaponized mechanism against voters by referring HCR 2043, HCR 2038, which would, it's a, it's an all-out attack to defund SNAP, WIC, access, public schools, living wages, paid family leave and so much more that our communities rely on. Mm -hmm. And so our folks were there until 9 p.m. yesterday with a full-on storm in Arizona. It's been really cold and rainy, which is like also very different, but (laughs) (laughs) a whole other, that's a whole other fight. But what 
you know, it was intergenerational young people holding it down at the legislature and speaking truth to power against what is happening and what would happen to our communities should these pieces of legislation. And so one call to action would be if folks want to join our fight and get involved, we need all of the help that we can get there. We do have a bit.ly. And so if folks sign up for bit.ly slash ledge fight back, that will take you directly to our website where you could sign up and get real time updates on how you can support the fight. Totally. And also just thinking about like your comment of like, they're constantly sort of, you know, coming up with like new ways to be cruel and to be insane. Where, like, what do you see? Like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, what do, do you guys see just being on the ground, like a specific Intent. end goal? Yeah. Like, because obviously, look, some people are just messed up and heinous and like they just genuinely from like their heart of hearts, like they get some type of like pleasure out of being bad people. Like, we see that. Like, we'll put that in one category, but like, and maybe there's probably some interconnected stuff with that for sure. But like, what is there in like this? The oppressive like, strategy. Right. Like, what's the, what is like, if they had their, their perfect world, like, what is it that they're trying to create and paint with that? Yeah, uh, that's a really excellent question. And what I'll say is that, you know, you have legislators and now an extremist party that you know we have kind of thrown around the term for supreme court folks that are originalists but i would say that in many ways these folks are too where they really believe that people of color should not have any type of thriving life in in the united states that we shouldn't be participating, we shouldn't be voting, that women should not have, you know, access and agency to reproductive health care, to any say over their bodies. So these are people that, these are deeply rooted, both xenophobe and misogynist at the at the end of it and at the core of it right it's like patriarchal misogynist mm-hmm. views and we haven't done enough work yet you know in as a society to really you know name what what is the the underpinnings of all of this and the the work that we have to do also as a collect as a collective to ensure that you know that hate politics doesn't thrive. But, you know, our democracy and our voters are demonstrating that we don't believe in that hate politics. Mm. And that is really the beauty, I would say, of the past 2022 election results is that everyone voted against hate. And so this big expected red wave, right, of like all of this like hate tsunami that was expected. Yeah. What we saw is like, oh, hell no. Like that is going to be who we are. That is not who we want to be. And, you know, places in Arizona that have always been discounted that folks wrote off as just like, you know, a deeply red state that would never turn. Here we are after over a decade of organizing and so um, i think that also too is like leads to a next question which is like what is the actual like political landscape of arizona because this is like steve karnacki's favorite thing to to talk about and i just like love the dude he got he just wears khakis in a certain way you know you just gotta love him (laughs) but like i'm like okay he's not in arizona you know he's with his board so you know, what, you know, limiting factor here. You guys are actually organizing on the ground. You are seeing, you know, what's happening. And you're also talking to voters and knocking on those 44 plus thousand doors. And I'm just curious, you know, what does that landscape actually look like? Like, what is the general, I don't even, consensus is maybe too broad of a, a term, but what is the general vibe in Arizona politically? Yeah, for sure. You know, by, by 20, 
26, 2030, we begin to shift into a majority minority state. Demographics are not destiny. And so that means that we, you know, continue to have a lot of work to do because as it stands right now, the breakdown of Republican, Democrat, Independent is a third, a third, a third. With independents traditionally having leaned more toward Republican, what we are seeing now is that there's a deep question on what that means. Yeah. And so what we saw is that independents, by and large, you know, align themselves in the past election cycle with Democrats. And so that's the homework for us is, yeah. you know, we're a state where you really, you got to leave it all in the field. It's about really having conversations. I think because we have organized, registered, and, you know, have done deep canvassing for such a long time here in the state, our communities are acutely aware that their vote doesn't just represent them, that their vote actually is also, you know, for that person that, you know, lost their their right to vote or that maybe never had the right to vote, but they also matter. And so folks know that their vote is incredibly important. And that's a testament to all of the organizing work that has happened across, you know, over 10 years now. And so I would say that, you know, we are, we're very, we like to be independent in the state. We like to be the people that determine our own destiny. And I think that we are, you know, staying true to that mission and spirit. And there's a real sort of awakening and questioning of what it means to be affiliated with political parties as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's just been such incredible like electoral work happening in Arizona the past few years due to organizations like your guys's and to see Arizona shift in the way that it has like is really just due to the amazing organizing again that you guys and, and other orgs are doing. So all the claps, all the applauses there. And I think also like back to the kind of like oppressive forces that we talked about, I think that they feel that and they feel that like threat and Oddly enough, instead of kind of appealing to voters more and going back to the middle and winning people over in that way, they seem to just be going the opposite direction, which is just a big question mark in my book. But nonetheless, we also kind of want to get into this topic of immigration as well, especially in Arizona. Can you kind of paint the picture of what you know the landscape looks like around this topic in Arizona right now and how kind of the state and specifically state legislature approaches immigration in Arizona? Yeah. So that's a really big kind of marker. And I'll probably spend a little bit more time here because this has been how the right, really the extreme right, from like the Tea Party days, really tried to leverage this idea that if you create fear around a, a group, a set of people, then that will help in their political outcomes. Yeah. And so what you saw in, even before 2010, right, was Prop 300 in 2006, which took away the opportunity for dreamers to be able to obtain in-state tuition and scholarships. That was, you know, such a significant marker because then it really shifted. It's it's when you begin to see the shift in, in the hate politics. And then you start to see our, our pile really running with the anti-immigrant message up to the boiling point, which was SB 1070. And SB 1070 was a show me your papers law here in Arizona that allowed for community. If you were wearing a, a silk shirt that had the Virgin Mary on it, you could be stopped by police. That was literally like one of the mandates. If your car had like dangling tassels on the inside and or like velvet lining on the seats you could stop 
people and ask them for their papers, right? So it was really literally, in a real sense, a racial profiling law. Yeah. So that was given, you know, license now to police to execute those types of duties. And this was how, this was a birth of a movement in Arizona, the birth of infrastructure and leaders that found found each other in the middle of a fight without all of the tools, but with all of the anger and all of the hope that we can do better than this. And now you see them as leaders of organizations, leaders as chiefs of staffs with DACA. It's such a beautiful kind of, you know, aftermath rather than just kind of the ashes that came out of that. Yeah. And because of all of that groundwork, because of the leadership development, because of the commitment to fight back and invite our communities to learn how to protect themselves, learn how to organize, you know, at this moment in time, you do not see, I would say as of 2015, you do not see significant anti-immigrant bills now passing through the legislature or a significant number, you know, being proposed at the legislature. And so that's, we consider that a significant win. Yeah. And to the point where in this past election, we were able to pass Prop 308, which by all accounts was like a 50-50% shot to allow dreamers to receive in-state tuition again and scholarships. And it passed. Voter approved. Every single voter that was able to vote demonstrated that we are not that Arizona politics of hate anymore, that we want to see a new day. And so this is a message not only for every Arizona politician that wants to run with hate legislation, that we 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 don't fall for that anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's also a testament to the nation that in a place with an SB 1070 history and an Arpaio and a Jambrower, that voter attitudes and sentiments can shift when you do the education. I believe that this is possible across the country. Shout out to ballot measures and propositions everywhere. <laughs> I think like especially last year it was such a great political lesson to know that like these are such amazing tools too, to not only just like get stuff done and get you know policy enacted but to show pe- show where people are at and i think that you know seeing some of the even abortion measures was it kansas mm-hmm. oklahoma was yeah it? kansas kansas yeah kansas. like just you know seeing kansas show out for yeah. reproductive rights and being like no we don't want this we don't like your rhetoric. We don't like, you know, what you're proposing on this front. I think just I I love to see some of that and like show that direct democracy and like show the powers that be that like, no, this is what the people want. And I think it's I think it's such a great tool to for kind of like longevity too of kind of like steering the political conversation certain ways. So we love we love to see that. And we're going to get a little bit into more of Prop 308 and what you mentioned. But we want to kind of dive in first to our I have a stupid question segment. And start off with what is DACA? It's something we hear all the time, but we really want to have like a moment to really define it and understand what it is and if there are like requirements to qualify and all the details there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm ready for these awesome questions. There is no <laughs> questions. So DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And this is a program that provides work permits for all people who came to the United States since June 15th of 2007. And at that point, folks were 15 years old. They live here that have lived here also through June 15th of 2012 and went to an accredited school that and the accreditation is determined by USCIS. Currently, people who have DACA already are able to renew their documents. But where we are at now with DACA, there are no new applications that are being received. We're in the process of waiting for the Supreme Court. We're in the process of waiting for the Supreme Court to make their final decision on the 
where this program will will be and folks need to apply within 120 days before their expiration. Got it. Well, for another question in this realm is what is a permanent residency card? Uh, so the permanent residency card is also, you know, more commonly known as the green card that's provided to a person who has been approved for residency in the U.S. And normally those cards are good for about 10 years. There are some cases based on petitions where they're, they don't have an expiration date. Some others can be provided, but they're called conditional residency cards. And those are normally about only two years long. And after that time frame, the person has to submit a petition to remove those conditions. So it's a legal permanent resident. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, next one, if you're ready. <laughs> Just speed and throw. What's a naturalized citizen? The naturalized citizen is a person who was not born in the U.S., but however, that person now fulfills all of the requirements and can become a U.S. citizen. Got it. Okay. And then last on the list for this segment is what are citizenship classes and what do they do? Yes. Okay. So citizenship classes. I'm so excited about this question. We provide at Lucha, we also provide citizenship classes. And so they prepare the applicants to be ready for their interview with USCIS. Those exams, they're not easy, but with, you know, studying and having a community of support, whether it be your family, neighbors, faith institutions, we've had lots of graduates. And so those exams are a total of 100 questions that need to be memorized by the applicant. And then you, when you go there, there's also a written test component. Wow. Um, See, the thing is, just, is I would fail. Yeah. As a terrible test taker since birth, this, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, you know, it's a miracle that either of us even got 400s on the SAT. We did write our names. So I didn't take the SAT. You did. I took the ACT. Um, a little, little student athlete perks. I have so many questions, but without totally getting off track, let's let's talk about just generally the citizenship process in the U.S. I know that this can go a few different ways, but generally speaking, like what is that process for people? Like what does that look like? What does it entail? Yeah, so there's the mechanics of it, and then there is the experience that you know, a lot of our community members have where it's a really complicated and convoluted process. In many instances, folks like my dad who were working with lawyers, partic particular during the 1986 amnesty that we all reference. During that time, you know, lawyers felt that, you know, some lawyers, unscrupulous ones, that this was a time to be able to like come up on some money. And so not only did they take or still in some cases take, you know, dollars from our communities, but then leave their paperwork hanging. And so then that creates a whole snowball where USCIS feels that, you know, they're not taking the process seriously um, and their process gets thrown out. That happened to my dad. But for folks that are able and ready that have legal permanent residency to apply for citizenship, there's an application that has to be submitted, the N-400 to USCIS. Once that one is received, they just schedule an appointment to do fingerprints, and then USCIS determines if this is necessary sometimes to reuse like the old fingerprint on file, or sometimes you're just, you would just pay again. After that interview, the person then will be scheduled. And during the interview, the officer will ask a series of questions to the applicant. It'll be the history questions that I think if I had to take that, I might also not pass. <laughs> uh, the written test questions and then also just like personal history questions. And then once the applicant passes, they will be scheduled for the ceremony on that same day or a different day. It depends on the availability. And just like in my own 
memory now, my dad actually became a citizen last year after waiting with his legal permanent residency for about 30 years. He oh was really intimidated yeah, by the test. Exactly. We were just talking <sighs> about intimidating the test is. And so he yeah. likes his little heart out and Aww. he... And he registered to vote at my house and he was so happy. So, you know, it's possible. And there's grassroots organizations across the country that will support through the process because it is intimidating. It totally is. That education piece is so important. I'm glad you guys do that. And love. Congrats to your dad. Proud of him. I, again, yeah, it's like gotta be just such a such an intimidating process and there's so much on the line too that just adds to that like you know you when you take a test even in school and you're like oh my god if I you know this will make my grade for the whole semester if I fail or not like that alone is like I crack under pressure you know but really having you know this this way of you know citizenship and what that really means is is a lot to also kind of process and and get like take that step to to go after it. But back to electoral stuff, especially looking in Arizona. I have a question too about just Latino voters and how there have been just like this big conversation around this group and where I guess this group is kind of starting to lean one way or the other. We're kind of seeing both. Can we can you kind of explain too like what you've seen as far as this major voting block now and really where they're leaning and also like what are the best, I guess, approaches to winning over this this block and the priorities that they that they hold? Mm-hmm. Ooh, meaty question. Okay, <laughs> so many layers to that one. Let's oh go. Goodness. Let's go. Yes. No. Seriously, thank you for this question. We've been getting a lot around this. Both, I would say that it's been within the Latino community, right? That there has been this echo chamber. I would say that Latinos are defecting to. Republican. And so we have to like, what are we going to do? Why are we voting Democrat? Like all of that. And uh, there's a couple of truths. One is that, you know, the Latino community is not a monolith. And so you have intergenerational Latinos that literally the border crossed them and that just they have been targeted by the messages of rugged individualism that, you know, the right really does a lot of deep investment in targeting men in particular across across ethnic and racial groups around this idea that, you know, we're not, you're not going to tread on us. We have the right to bear arms. They're trying to change our kids. We're a lot of the, we got tons and tons of really horrible mailers that were just so hateful on the trans community. And so, mm-hmm. but they're using that, right, against right. these communities to instill this this fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And so what you begin to see is that the fear and the investment is everywhere that our communities visit and frequent. So like YouTube and Facebook and all of, you know, the like their their influencers are like using and spewing out this rhetoric mm-hmm. and so there's also a nuance that's really important mm-hmm. so during the trump election what we saw is that the campaign was so so skilled at understanding the the differences within the latino community so puerto rican spanish Mexican Spanish, Spanglish, Chicano Spanish, right? Like all of that, they were able to really like laser focus and speak to our communities in the way that they understand. Mm -hmm. And what, what we see now, unfortunately, on the other side is that you have a party on the Democratic side that is like, well, why aren't I winning on my merits? Like, I'm doing all this good stuff. I'm not wilding now. Like, I'm not attacking the community. Yeah. But you have all these other messages from these, like, people that are just, like, spewing all this misinformation, disinformation, hate politics. And they're doing a better job at investing in our community. 
on the good and the scary, while the Democrats are like, ah, uh-uh, why aren't you coming to me? Yeah, they just think they don't mm-hmm. have to like work for it. They're like, well, well we're, we've always been the party right. that's like, right. we're, it's right. logical. It just should yeah. happen. Like, we've always had you guys back. Like, have you? Yeah, no, you're going to have my back right now, but you got to remind me. And yeah, exactly. Four jobs and gas out here ain't cheap. Yeah. And also I'm having a hard time paying for gro- groceries. So come remind me. Remind right. me. That's such a good point. So I think, you know, all of that, all of that and, you know, every every community, people are going to choose who they identify with already based on their own beliefs. And what we're what we found is that even within the Latino community, even though there's all this to do about Latinos like going Republican, it's just such a fraction of a percentage. Mm hmm. So but it's like the story gets like blown up. It's like, oh, my God, there's a crisis. Yeah. No, it's and it's such a classic tale of the Democrats and their I mean, I think across the board, across many different demographics, there isn't as much work or outreach put in to, you know, retain voters. And I think we're that's, that's really a lot of what we're seeing right now with this shift. So totally. Well, speaking of a I don't even want to call it a shift, but like a situation to do like a little Jersey Shore sitch. Is um, which, guys, I was like just listening to an interview with Jay Wow and Snooki, and I am more obsessed than ever and need to go back and binge all the episodes. But (laughs) that aside, is the situation in Arizona that's emerging is the cinema and Gallego. What is your take on this? Just raw thoughts. Like, what is your point of view on it? Because we're watching, obviously, from, you know, a bird's eye view, like, oh my. God, but I'm curious what yours is. Yeah, talk about like someone that just cannot stand not being in the limelight. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> when <laughs> literally Georgia like saves democracy and we see Reverend Warnock like win cinema's like, well, you know, I'm I'm actually like doing a thing. Yeah. And it was a big thing. <laughs> And it's not a surprise. We knew, right, that she was not advocating in the interests of our communities based on the fact that she would not even talk to our communities. Not Mm -hmm. one town hall, no meeting of any significant sort either, um, where she was really, you know, opening the doors and creating access or listening to the concerns that our communities have. And so her switching over to independent was not as shocking because she was already doing the most mm-hmm. to demonstrate that she did did not care about who put her in office. Exactly. And why our communities voted for her. Mm-hmm. The alternative was so scary. It was Martha McSally, right? Like another extreme Trumper only to find that this Democrat was, not only was she not a champion, not only is she not a champion, but she's a deep obstructionist of progress. Yeah, truly the lesser of two evils. Yeah, I think that's the perfect title for her. She's the obstructionist of progress. I think we just need to refer to her as that from now on. No longer Zema, just obstructionist of progress, just commented on and... That's yeah. the sitch for sure. And honestly, to paint that picture, too, of what that race was like for her to get elected, to know that it was someone who was very far right and that that was she was the only option. And it just makes it even worse. I didn't really know that. I didn't know about that race. So like to think of it now, it's like she really used this Democratic title to get elected and ultimately feed her own interests. And she clearly loves uh, loves attention. I'm not sure what her you know, horoscope is, but there's probably a deep dive we can do there to figure it out. But I did know at one point because we did do that little like Zodiac sign feature. And then I recently deleted all of our highlights for that because they were taking up too much room. And now I guess we could Google it. We could just Google it. Oh my God. Now what is is her sign? (laughs) (laughs) Zodiac sign. We all get a cancer. 
<laughs> answer. I wish I knew more, Which but is a I'm water sure. sign. Her we'll have, birthday. We'll have Janique break it down for us. Janique, if yeah. you're listening, mm-hmm. give us the tea. No, it's just really interesting to 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 kind of hear more about really honestly the race that got her into that position and like her and Joe Manchin like we knew were obstructionists but then for her to make this move it I I think it's fully appalling it was mm-hmm. but at the same time it was also so telling of like who she actually is so we will see what happens here I hope you know I'm not sure if people other people are going to jump into this race but it'll be interesting to to see none nonetheless but what other races do you think that people in Arizona should have their eyes on if there's any in 2023 or just looking at 2024? What what are your spotlights? We have some really cool runs coming up. So for for this year, Regina Romero is the mayor of Tucson. And so we want to reelect her. She's just wonderful from the community. Total badass. And so she has just been a champion environment across the board, all the things. So that's like a big one that we have our eye on this year. The, you know, just like one note on the Gallego and Cinema race is that in all of the polls, so we've now polled Carrie Lake, Gallego and Cinema, Governor, former Governor Ducey, Gallego and Cinema. And Gallego is leading in all of the polls. Is he? So, nice. Okay. Yes. So that really just like goes to show that voters across the board are done with cinema and that she would be the vote splitter in this equation. And so she really needs to sit this one out if she yeah. cares about the future of the country and if she cares about her Arizona constituency. We still we still predict a potential presidential run from her as well. Oh so God. don't sleep on that. That's <laughs> yeah, her. Like I literally I look, I don't put actual money on bets, but my air money that I put on things is on that. Oh, no, no. I mean, look, it's, it's no. Like, uh, yeah. That it doesn't yeah. happen. No, no, no. You know, she <laughs> loves, yeah, she loves the spotlight. She, and the shift too, to an independent for a 2024 presidential race with the options for president that we have right now. I mean, it just, it just would make sense. But sorry, what other races are we looking at? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Like she, she should go on that old school show. I don't know if y'all remember it, the fear factor. She just loves <laughs> to shock. Like that is her whole shtick. Yeah. I've, so, yeah. But other races, the big one coming up next year that we're hearing significant interest from is Congressional District 3. And so that's a like deeply blue, deeply progressive, you know, centered in the hub of like people of color are like majority voting block. And I'm here is in that race. And so she's our Arizona AOC. So if you think of in Arizona, you cannot think of Arizona without Brackett. She has really been the person. She was my organizer. She was one of the people that got arrested at the Board of Supervisors against Arpaio. He sent his sheriff's deputies to her home, right? Like, she has been at the front lines of every single fight here. And to see her go into, you know, the federal space and own it and join the squad would be just like incredible. iconic. Yeah. Iconic. Look, iconic. we love when they take in new members of the squad. So, you know, totally. we love an expansion <laughs> moment. So we we'll, we'll, we'll have to make it happen. Yes. 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 Those are big in addition to the presidential race. We want to make sure that Arizona keeps it blue. Absolutely. Amen to that. Oh my Amen God. to that. Well, thank you for highlighting all of this. Do you mind also plugging where people can get involved and help you guys out in this fight in Arizona? Social media, websites, all the things. Totally. So folks can go onto our website and can join the fight through our website. And that's luchaaz.org. We have a lot of actions coming up at the legislature. 
we're doing our teach-ins the week of the 13th of March. And the hope is that we can give and provide a space where communities can come together and get the political education they need to advocate at the legislature, sign up to speak or sign in an opposition to these horrible bills. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us and walking us through all these questions. So incredibly helpful. And we can't wait to see what you guys do this year and beyond. Awesome. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you. Of course. Thank you. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.